appreciate you being here tonight. It, I think that's such a precious time we get together and pray like that. And, and uh, you, you, I don't know about your groups, but we usually spend a couple of minutes fellowshipping too, so that's a blessing. And uh, so enjoy enjoy that time together. Um, had the uh, uh, police here today. I got my I saw it in the paper a few months ago that there's a rash of converter thieves in Brookings. Well, they got me. So they got my converter and uh, out of our, out of my truck. So had to make, do a report today. But I turned in a flashlight with hopefully their fingerprints on it. So pray that they'll get them. They said, we haven't gotten anything yet. We're going to try to get this off of them. So uh, maybe that'll help. But, but uh, protect your converters. <laughs> you can. Job chapter 25 is where we're at tonight. Job chapter 25. And when you get there, you'll see that we are in for a long night. Job chapter 25, but I will try to make it all the way through tonight, all right? Uh, then answered Bildad the Shuhite and said, Dominion and fear are with him. He maketh peace in his high places. Is there any number of his armies? And upon whom doth not his light arise? How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Behold, even to the moon and it shineth not. Yea, the stars are not pure in his sight. How much less man that is a warm, the son of man, which is a warm. Father, I pray it help us this evening. And we'll look at this passage and gain something from it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Bildad's third speech is the last speech of, his three, of these three friends, which is <laughs> good. Uh, Zophar doesn't make a third speech. He retires after two, good riddance to that. And Bildad's, as you see, is very short. And uh, it does not shed any light on the subject at hand of Job's troubles. I like how Barnes put it. All that is said in this chapter is true and beautiful, but it has nothing to do with the subject in the debate. At this stage of the controversy, since they had nothing to reply to what Job had alleged, it would have been honorable in them to have acknowledged that and stopped speaking. But it requires extraordinary humility to do that, and most men would prefer to say something though it have nothing to do with the case in hand. That is genius. Isn't that true? Uh, having nothing to say does not stop people from saying it. Amen? Uh, they'll still, one of, I'm, one of the things my dad said many times to me about preachers, we used to talk a lot, my, my obsession from being young was to be a preacher, but uh, one of his advice was, I've heard many preachers that were done long before they stopped speaking. Uh, have you ever heard a preacher that was done before he stopped? I've, I have. And so Bildad spoke even though he had nothing of value to add here. Uh, I want to just break it down very quickly here. We see uh, he, he, did, he broke it down into two sections here, the rule of God and the righteousness of God. Uh, he portrays God as the sovereign ruler of the universe. He says in verse 2, dominion and fear are with him. He begins this by emphasizing the position of God's rule, that word dominion. Uh, shows God's position. He is number one ruler of the universe. He is overall, he is supreme. Uh, no one is over God. He is the one who said in Exodus 3.14, I am that I am. You remember that story? Moses was supposed to go to Pharaoh uh, to demand the release of the, uh, the Israelites from the Egyptians. And this is what Moses said. Behold, when I come into the children of Israel and shall say to them, God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. 
Okay, uh, that's not really a name, is it? But uh, you see, Moses had a problem because he had to have a name for God. Knowing a name for God was important, especially in that time. Uh, the Egyptians' gods had names. They had all kinds of different gods with different names that meant different things. And so God says, I am that I am. By the way, to know God's name is to know God's character. Amen? And so that's an awesome name. Uh, what it basically said is God can do what He wants, when He wants, where He wants, to whom He wants, how He wants. He is that He is. I am that I am. The only one that can do that is God who is supreme. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Uh, not only, though, do we see the position of his rule, but the peril in his rule or the danger. He talks about dominion and fear are with him. talks about the danger of opposing the rule of God. Notice that word fear. In chapter 28, verse 28 of Job, And unto man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, and to depart from evil is understanding. I think it's interesting there. These are different original words here, by the way. In our text, the word is... Pachad. I think I said that right, actually. Uh, I, I listen to, I have a, if you ever want to use it, by the way, blueleatherbible.com. It's free. And it's a great resource. You can, you can poke in all the words and it'll give you the original word, what it means, and it'll pronounce it for you. And I found out in my listening, the Hebrew language evidently has a lot of in it because almost every word has some kind of, has that. I don't know how you spell, but they have a lot of it in there. So, pachad, it means terror or dread. The word fear used in our text then means, is emphasizing dread and terror. Dominion and fear are with him. This is, that's what opposing God should inspire in us. We should be dread, dread, we should dread to oppose God in our life. All right, now, the same word uh, used in, jo a different word, by the way, I mean, is used in Job 28, 28, and that word is yerah, and it means Fearing, respect, reverence, piety. That's the same word used in, Psalm, in Proverbs 9.10, uh, where it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This emphasizes reverence and respect. And uh, not only does the fear of the Lord uh, produce wisdom, but it sets the rest of our life in balance if we have fear of God. It is only the fear of God that will deliver us from the fear of man. In fact, Fear of man is irrational in the sight of God. We fear men only because we fear God so little. And it's, a, it's an imbalance that we have in our society today, but I could say in many of our churches too. Now, I will say commonly, uh, we, we hear preachers talk about when the Bible says to fear God, it's not talking about fear, it's talking about reverence. And, and it is to some ex extent. But I think fear still means fear. We ought to be afraid of of. Of God, like we were, like I was afraid of my dad. My dad, I went took, went to the doctor with him the other day. Broke his hand in two spots, but uh, he uh, he weighed. He got on the scale at the doctor's office there, ninety eight point six. That's his high. All right, he's never weighed more than that, being crippled. But um, he he wasn't. He doesn't make a very scary figure. But I was scared of him growing up. I had fear of doing the wrong thing. There is some of that fear there. But the fear in the text here emphasizes the danger of opposing God. We should dread the consequences of opposing God. 1 Corinthians 11, we, talk, we read the verse every time we do communion, suggests that there's times that God, because of God, people are sick or people die because of opposing God uh, or do it at the hand of God. In fact, so many of us, or I should say so few of us, 
have no fear of God. In our society, there really isn't any fear of God at all. In fact, many people mock it. Uh, but the judgment of God is a real thing. It's just part of uh, God's character that people don't want to talk about. All they want to hear about is the love of God. People need to hear Hebrews 10.31. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. That still ought to inspire some fear in us. God is not some easygoing Santa Claus in the sky that winks at everything that goes on. There is an answering. There is a reckoning that will take place. He is holy and He demands that we are as well. A lack of fear uh, of God is why we have so much lawlessness and, and wickedness in our land. I like how Chuck Colson put it. Without ultimate justice, people's sense of moral objection or moral obligation dissolves. Social bonds are broken. People who have no fear of God soon have no fear of man and no respect for human laws and authority. Hey, we need to get back to the fear of God in our nation and uh, obviously in our churches as well. And then, not only the peril, but we also see the peacefulness of his rule. Look at verse number 2. He maketh peace in his high places. Bildad speaks of the peace that God gives. Now, not many rulers of the world bring peace. In fact, many rulers of the world bring war to their nations. And uh, they, they, when God rules, though, there's peace. The Bible says in Psalm 33, 12, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And whose people and the people who have chosen for his own inheritance. No one can bring peace like God Almighty. I had a little bit of a uh, didn't want to go too much into this tonight because that's what we're preaching on Sunday morning. Uh, one of the things we're talking about is the peace of God. But Colossians three fifteen, let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Only God can bring real peace to the world. Now, I don't watch beauty pageants for obvious reasons, but the cliché that uh, we often hear from these empty-headed beauties is when they're asked, what is the one thing you would want in the world? And uh, what's the answer? They always say, world peace, world peace. World peace isn't going to happen apart from God. In fact, we'll never see world peace until the millennium. Uh, it's just not going to happen without Him. It, the problem with the earth, with the world, is that we don't submit to God. And that's why we have so little peace. I was thinking on this the other, the other day. You think there's a country in the world right now, talk about our elections, that if God were running, we'd elect him? We might say, oh yes, God is God, but uh, boy, there'd be a lot of negative press on CNN about God, wouldn't there? And there, there already is. Uh, I say not. I don't think they would elect him because we don't elect him now. Right? He could be our king now and we don't submit to him. Uh, as a society, all peace negotiations that leave out submission to God are doomed to fail. There is no peace apart from Him. Because peace with God brings the peace of God. And the problem is most of us don't have peace with God, so we don't have the peace of God. It is the peace that settles our nerves, it fills our mind, floods our spirit, even in the midst of turmoil, trusting Him that everything will turn out all right. We need that peace of God. Then uh, look at next, the power of the rule. Look at verse number three. Is there any number of his armies? A great ruler will have a great army. And no ruler is greater than God. No one has a greater army than God. The number of those in God's armies uh, in heaven are so great that Bildad uses rhetorical speech to talk about it. God can employ his armies at any time. He could have, you've heard the song, probably could have called 10,000 angels. And uh, the Bible verifies that. 
Uh, remember in 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha, they're surrounded by the Syrians. And Elisha's servants get all panicky, you know. They're going to get us, they're going to get us. And Elisha says, no, no, no. And then he says, ask the Lord to open his eyes. And when his eyes are open, he sees God's armies around. <laughs> and he sees what's... Re- that's, a, that's a neat thing for us to think about, isn't it? Uh, when we're oppressed, when we are... Uh, troubles are hitting us from every side. We don't see God's armies uh, protecting us. What a thought that is. Uh, he says, by the way, in 2 Kings 6, 16, to his servant, fear not. For they that be with us are more than they that be with them. That's a great truth for us to remember. And then number next here, the, the place of the rule. Look at verse 3 again. Upon whom doth his, or not his light arise? Bildad's basically saying God's rule is everywhere. Now, people used to say of Great Britain years ago, back when they had colonies all around the world, they used to say that the sun never set on the British Empire. That's what this is saying here. The sun never sets God's empire. Now the sun sets on the British Empire, but didn't uh, at one time, you know, they, they could say that no matter what time of the day it was, somewhere the sun was shining on their empire. But uh, there's no place where the light of God's rule does not shine. We need to submit to it. So the second part of the chapter, this long, gigantic chapter, is the righteousness of God. Uh, he, in speaking of the righteousness of God, Bildad does so in a negative way concerning man. In other words, a comparison of it. The righteousness of God creates a problem for man. Because man is not righteous. And to dwell with God, we need to be righteous as well. Uh, and we can't be righteous. See, that causes a conundrum for us. Uh, to be with God in God's heaven, we have to be righteous. But we are not righteous, nor can we be righteous. Being righteous means perfect in every way. And there's very few of us out there, okay? So, uh, we, that was a joke. We can't be righteous, anybody, even including me, okay? Uh, nobody is, is perfect. And so, the question is asked in verse 4, how then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? That is a great question about divine righteousness. The answer to that question about being justified, by the way, should be the driving desire and pursuit of every person concerning their soul. How can we be justified? The answer is given very plainly in the gospel. Jesus Christ is the answer to that question. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. We know from the gospel message that this deficiency can only be solved through Him. cannot be solved through religion good works because we cannot do enough to be righteous. In fact, the Bible says that even our righteousness are as filthy rags. So even our righteousness isn't good enough, much less the fact that we can't live without sin in our life because we're sinners. Again, remember, we're not sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. There's a big difference there. 1 Corinthians 1.30 But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God has made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. He will provide us with His righteousness. What a blessing that is. So that when God looks at us, He sees Jesus Christ. Isn't that a blessing? I I am so grateful for that. Now, verse 5, we see the persuasion about the righteousness. Behold, even to the moon, and it shineth not, yea, the stars are not pure in His sight. The statement is very similar to Eliphaz, what he made in his second speech back in Job 15, when he said, yea, the heavens are not clean in His sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man? The argument that they're trying to make here, if the moon and stars 
are not clean and they don't even have souls, how much more unclean is man who has a soul and is wicked and unclean? Now, the Bible often talks about how unclean man is compared to God. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, We are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness are as filthy rags. Man's uncleanness, as I said a minute ago, is so bad that even our righteousness is unclean. Because of our best is nowhere near God's, and I'm not saying God has a worst, but his, his, the Bible uses this in, in the New Testament, his, his weakness is greater than our strength, so not that he has any weakness, but the point being, the worst is, is better than our best. And so this completely kills the idea that man can work his way to heaven by good works. The only righteousness that will be accepted is divine righteousness. And, and uh, praise the Lord, we get that through Christ. And then the end of verse 6 there. How much less is man that is a worm, the son of man which is a worm. I did a lot of searching this week because you know what the son of man refers to? Jesus Christ? Not here. I, uh, I thought maybe there was something deeper there. But uh, I, I looked at the original. It just means the son of a man. So we're not talking about Jesus here. Uh, but but uh, basically, he's given the unpopular truth. People don't like to hear that, that man is a worm. Can you get any lower than a worm? I mean, you got no spine. you got no uh, purpose for living. Uh, as a worm, you're, it shows our lowly, lowly position uh, to, compared to the Lord. And like a worm in the ground, sin defiles a man and that demotes him. We're so low because of sin. Sin doesn't give any dignity to us. Only God's holiness does that. So how amazing then, considering the fact that we are just a worm, that God would send His Son to die for us. Amen? What a blessing that is. That He still loves us enough to send His own Son for us. It shows the great love of God. It doesn't show the great deserving of man. Okay? So, uh, because we are not deserving. So, Thanks, Bill Dad. As I said in the beginning, lots of good information. Had nothing to do with Job. I, I can imagine Job at the end of this. It's all good and fine and dandy. What's that got to do with me? And it didn't. His, uh, his truths, you know, there were some truths there. And it does show man's need for the gospel. And these are good things. But again, all these speeches that they give, they're not helping Job at all. And uh, so that's something that we'll, uh, we'll see the Lord step into that role also. That's the entire chapter. Proud of me? We got through the whole thing. 20 minutes. Amen. All right, let's pray. Thank you.